0: Let's pray as we stand. Father, as we look at this psalm which your son spoke from the cross, please help us to see him in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. And uh, listen again to these last recorded words of Jesus in Mark. My God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? Now, some liberal scholars say that was a cry of despair, of loss of faith, because Jesus had been faithful to God in confronting the godless leaders of the day, and God had been unfaithful to him because the godless leaders had won. Others say no, it wasn't a cry of despair, it was a cry of confusion of faith that thought God had forsaken him when really he hadn't. A bit like that poem you may know, Footprints in the Sand, about a believer looking back on his life. One night a man dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life, and for each he saw two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him, the other to the Lord. But then he saw that many times there was only one set of footprints, and these the very lowest, saddest times, so he questioned the Lord. Lord, you said you'd walk with me all the way, and yet in my most troubled times there are only one set of footprints, so I don't understand why when I need you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my child, I love you, and I would never leave you. And in your times of suffering where you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. But Jesus' cry was not a cry of confusion like that, either. It was a cry of real God-forsakenness. And to get inside it, we need to realize he was speaking the opening lines of Psalm 22, and we need to go back to Psalm 22 to see what light does it shine on Jesus. So would you turn um, in the Bibles to page 457, Psalm 22. I know it comes up on the screens, but it's good to have it open it, it, it makes the bible always makes more of an impact as as it's just there not just flashing up and going away again so psalm 22 page 457 and uh, let me read verse 1 again my god my god why have you forsaken me Now, most of us immediately think of Jesus saying those words, don't we? But he obviously wasn't the first to say them. If you look at the psalm heading in capital letters, it says a psalm of David. So I take it Psalm 22 was written by David, king of God's God's Old Testament people, a thousand years back then before Jesus. And here are three questions to crack it open. Question one, what did it mean for David to say Psalm 22? Question two, what did it mean for Jesus to say Psalm 22? Question three, what does it mean for us to say Psalm 22? That's where we're going. So number one, what did it mean for David to say Psalm 22? We kicked off this series of Christ in the Psalms, if you were here, with Psalm 2. And I reminded us of that crucial promise from God to David in 2 Samuel 7. Here it is again. God to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. That's saying David's son Solomon's going to build a temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him. With the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. In other words, God knew that David and his successes were going to be sinful, so would not deserve his commitment. But, verse 15, my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Which is God saying, whatever happens... I will keep this promise. I will be committed. I will never forsake you, which is why Psalm 22 verse 1 is a complete shock because the man who received that promise says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, sometimes we just feel like God isn't there, don't we? There's absolutely no hard evidence in our lives that he's forsaken us. You just wake up one day, you just feel God isn't there. Just feel different. That is not what God is on, What David is on about here. David is living in hard evidence that God has forsaken him. That God right now is not acting in line with his promise. And so I think you have to say Psalm 22 is a cry of real God forsakenness. Look down to verse 1 again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day and you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So he needed saving and God hadn't saved him. He's prayed and God hasn't answered. So what trouble was he in? Skip on to verse six. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him, supposedly. So he's surrounded by sarcastic, mocking, ridiculing enemies. Remind you of anyone? It gets worse. Skip to verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So he's surrounded by a bunch of people baying for his blood. Remind you of anyone? And it leaves him feeling like verse 14. I'm poured out like water. This is how he feels. All my bones are out of joint. My heart's like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. But the worst of it, end of verse 15, is that he can say to God, you lay me in the dust of death. Because since God is sovereign he's ultimately behind this and you have to say he is ultimately allowing these enemies to put his king to death remind you of anyone so this is cry of real God forsakenness but it's also a cry of trust in God Last week, we had uh, from Sam the single patty burger of Psalm 8. This week, we have the multi-layer Big Mac of the first part of Psalm 22. Because three times you hit a yet layer. Look at verse 3. Yet. Well done for going back over the page. Sorry, it's an inconvenient psalm. Yet. In other words, despite my saying, you've forsaken me, I still believe you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. In other words, from Bible history, I still believe you're trustworthy, but right now there is a total contradiction between my experience and your promise. What am I meant to do with that? Or skip to verse 9 yet you are he who took me from the womb you made me trust you at my mother's breasts on you was I cast from birth and from my mother's womb you've been my god in other words I've trusted you from the year dot and from personal history as well as bible history I still believe you're trustworthy but there is this complete contradiction between my current experience and your promise what am I supposed to do with that And then skip over to verse 19. But, or yet, I don't know why they didn't translate it the same. Yet, you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And that shows he is still trusting because prayer, however desperate we are in it, however perplexed we are in it, prayer is by definition trust speaking so this is a cry of god forsakenness of trust in god but it's also a celebration of how god vindicated his king look at verse 21 again save me from the mouth of the lion and then suddenly is a complete change of tone it's another world you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen In other words, you've swung into action for me once again. I'm clearly not God forsaken any longer. The only sense I can make of this is that in Psalm uh, 22, verses 1 to 21, David seems to be replaying maybe his worst near-death experience. As if he was reliving it, as if it's in the present. And then he says, but God answered. It was the 11.99th hour, but he rescued me. And the second part of the psalm is like another world. So if verses 1 to 21 are are the Big Mac of trusting God when circumstances scream that he's forsaken you, verses 22 to the end are, let's say, the McFlurry of the celebration of how God vindicated his king. So look on to verse 22. David says to God... I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So he's celebrating with all of God's people, this rescue, this vindication. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he's not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he's not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. But then if you skip to verse 27, David basically says... (laughs) It's not just my fellow Israelites who need to hear about God's amazing vindication of his king. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. So all nations need to hear about this. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who couldn't keep himself alive. So all people, from the highest to the lowest, need to hear about this. Verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he's done it. So all generations for the rest of time need to hear about this. And you begin to think, "Ah, David has got to have something in mind bigger than just the rescue and vindication that's just happened to him, which, important as it was, is it that world-shattering an event? It suggests that David was thinking this whole pattern of his life, of God's king being rejected, vindicated, rejected, vindicated, was somehow going to reach a climax which would show the whole world who was really king. And Jesus, speaking Psalm 22 on the cross, was saying, I am the climax. I am the king that King David foreshadowed. Which brings us to question two. What did it mean for Jesus to say Psalm 22? Mark 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And foreshadowed by David's experience, that was the ultimate cry of God-forsakenness, compared to which what David went through was a pinprick. Because the New Testament tells us that Jesus was God's son become human and that on the cross, the eternal fellowship he'd he'd always had with his father was replaced by total forsakenness. And that is because he was acting at that moment as our representative and substitute. I know I've used this picture before, but no apologies for that. Um, Imagine that the, uh, the light up there stands for us, and this, sorry, the light up there stands for God, and this hand stands for us. And that is a picture of how we are meant to live in fellowship with God, looking up to him, living under his authority. The reality is we have all turned away from God consciously or subconsciously. We've said, uh, I don't want you running my life. I don't trust you to do that. That is the attitude the Bible calls sin, and it leaves God offended and us under his judgment. So if this book stands for our sin and the judgment that it deserves, that is where we all are without Jesus. That is where every human being is without Jesus. Under the judgment of being told, I cannot relate to you, I cannot have you in my presence if you will not treat me as God. Now imagine this other hand stands for Jesus, God's son, become human who always lived perfectly in unbroken fellowship with God, never did that, never deserved that. And yet the Bible says that on the cross, he willingly took responsibility for our sin and judgment so that on the one hand, we could be forgiven our sin and the other, judgment would be served on our sin. So there is no fudging of justice in this forgiveness. And when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because he was experiencing in full the God-forsakenness that we deserve and will never experience ourselves if we trust in him. So, you know as well as I do if you're a Christian that our, our sin and guilt often make us fear God-forsakenness. And our sin and guilt often reminds us that we should be God forsaken. That's why we fear that. But if we are trusting in the one who was God forsaken for us, we are not and never will be. That is what the cross achieved. Now, as far as we know, Jesus only spoke the first line of Psalm twenty two on the cross, but he knew the whole thing, didn't he? And he knew it was all about him. And maybe he prayed it it, all the way through on the cross. Whether or not he did, the two other things we saw it meant for David, it most certainly meant for Jesus on the cross. So for Jesus also on the cross, it was a cry of trust in God. For example, look back to Psalm 22, verse 9. Psalm 22, verse 9. And as I read this, just think of Jesus, God the Son, speaking this to his Father. Yet... You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Because who was it more true of than Jesus that he trusted his father from his mother's breasts, from his mother's womb, and indeed for all eternity past? And that, of course, was why the forsakenness was worse than we can ever begin to imagine. And then for Jesus also, Psalm 22 was a celebration of how God vindicated his king, or in Jesus' case, was about to. Look at verse 21 again of the psalm. Verse 21. This extraordinary sea change. Save me from the mouth of the lion, and then you have rescued me. And in David's case, he was rescued from dying at the 11.99th hour. Whereas in Jesus' case, he wasn't rescued from dying, but from death to beyond death. So Jesus' rescue, Jesus' vindication was the resurrection. And the resurrection was God's way of saying, look, don't think that he died for any sins of his own. He died for yours. And his resurrection out from under there, to show that's been dealt with forever... Is proof that it's a work that's been finished and paid for in full. And the resurrection was also God's way of saying, you know, you rejected him, you tried to put him down as if you could get rid of him. Well, I've raised him to show that he's my son and that he's king with me and nothing you do or believe can ever change that, which is what we saw in Psalm 2 as well. And the New Testament book of Hebrews actually says you can read the second part of this psalm, verse 22 onwards, as a foreshadowing of Jesus resurrection and everything that followed it so it says david celebrating his vindication with all god's people that foreshadows what the risen jesus being worshipped by all who trust in him on earth and in heaven and david saying look all people all nations for all time need to hear about this that sh- that foreshadows what jesus saying Go and make disciples of all nations. How long? To the end of the age. Finally, a brief word on question three. What does it mean for us to say Psalm 22? Three brief things. The fact that it is here for us in the Bible means the Lord knows that sometimes the words of Psalm 22 will fit our experience like a glove. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. The Lord knows that for reasons we don't know, he will sometimes allow us that same total contradiction between our experience and his promises and character. No answer to prayer, no activity right now on his part that we can see. But if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus who was God forsaken for us, then we can say with a different level of assurance from David that whatever is against us, God is not. Because the cross says he is for me and he loves me, even at times when it feels and looks God forsaken. But I know as well as you do that that's not easy to hold on to. Another thing to say is that if we're trusting in Christ, we can experience some of the things in Psalm 22. We can expect some of the things in Psalm 22 to be our own experience. That's what the New Testament calls sharing in Christ's sufferings. Suffering because we identify with Christ in a Christ-rejecting world. So to some extent, we will experience the same scorn and mocking for what we believe, the same emotional and mental pressure for faith to to cave in, the same isolation of being the only Christian in the crowd, and maybe worse. But then one last thing to say from Psalm 22 is that Jesus understands that suffering from the inside. And not just suffering for him, although he understands that, but all suffering. It's all here in Psalm 22, isn't it? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual suffering. There's no category that you've been through that he hasn't. So he can understand and sympathize with us. And knowing that may often be our best comfort. It certainly was for Edward Shilito, who lived through the horrors of World War I, and he wrote a poem about how he could only find comfort as a sufferer in a suffering God. Let me end with his poem. It's called Jesus of the Scars. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars we claim thy grace. If when the doors are shut thou drawest near, only reveal those hands that side of thine. We know today what wounds are, have no fear. Show us thy scars, we know the countersign. The other other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to thy throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a god has wounds. But thou alone. Let's pray. And let me give you some quiet to pray individually in response to that. Let me draw us back together. Psalm 22, as we've seen, goes from the cross to the worship of heaven, and so does our next song. It it goes exactly the same path. So let's stand and sing our praise of Jesus. I cast my mind to Calvary.